to episode five, part two of the Rooted Reason podcast, the podcast aimed at the practical application of the Christian worldview. And this, like I said, is part two of an episode responding to the problem of evil from a Christian worldview. So if you haven't caught part one, I highly recommend going back and catching that. It's kind of going to build off of that previous episode. Uh, but on this episode, we're going to be talking about how the Bible defines evil, um, the importance of knowing the scriptures in that respect, and then we're going to finish up with the idea of testing worldviews. So to begin, um, like I said in part one, I want to reemphasize that here in part two. Uh, it's extremely important to respond to these kinds of questions or critiques of Christianity, not specifically with this one, the problem of evil, but it applies to all of them um, with with Scripture, with what God's revealed to us, um, and not to wander off into um, a bunch of different just philosophical categories. Those are important, like I said in part one. And those are important and good to know, and they're and they're great to study. But ultimately, we are to know the scriptures and know them well, and that's how we respond to these things. Because we don't want to respond in a general theistic way; we want to respond with Christianity, with the biblical worldview. And so, to start that, we're going to look at a couple places in scripture where the um, issue of evil comes up, and that's uh, particularly in Job. We're going to look at some verses in Job and just kind of some overview of Job, and then also in the book of James. We're going to look to how scripture answers the question of evil and then from there we'll move into again the testing of worldviews and how that um, affects the way we approach the problem of evil so as we dig into this the first thing i wanted to point out is you don't have a single monolithic answer from scripture um, explaining evil or suffering um, there's a few different ways that scripture approaches the topic in a few different areas and so we're going to kind of look at those in a broad view and then talk about a few specific examples of that. And so, as I mentioned, Job. And so Job kind of takes a, um, a common approach to evil, that bad things happen in nature and among people. Um, and Job is asking the question of if God runs the universe in a just and orderly fashion. And Job's response to that is that he is innocent. And so either A, God doesn't run, the world in a just fashion, or that God is unjust himself. And then uh, we see his three friends come in and respond back to him that uh, that God is just. He does run the world according to justice. And so they just assume that Job must have sinned. Um, a very, it's a very simplistic uh, way to look at it. It's that if a human, human action or human beings are wise and good, that they uh, have blessings poured out on them. And if they're evil and do stupid things, that uh, they receive punishment and suffering. And they have a very um, black and white or this or that type way of looking at it. And uh, as you go through the book of Job, you just see its conversation happening between Job and his three friends and going back and forth um, with that concept in mind. And so after a, a few back and forth between Job and his friends, um, God shows up, responds to Job and his Basic response is, um, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Where were you when I created these things? And what he is drawing out of that, what he is drawing Job to realize, is that um, his assumption isn't deep enough. His assumption uh, is too small. That The assumption that God runs the world according to a just standard, that Job is innocent, and so it doesn't make sense why Job is suffering. He doesn't have enough perspective. Um, from Job's very limited point of view, 
to really understand what is going on. He doesn't have a universal perspective. He doesn't have a big enough cosmic perspective like God has. And so God is pressing him on that. Uh, where were you when I did all of these things? Just showing how small the perspective he has. And then even asked Job if he would like to try to run the world in that very um, black and white way that Job thinks things are supposed to be run. So I highly recommend going and reading through the book of Job and digging some commentaries on that. We're just, I mean, this is a very short overview. Um, but at the end of end of Job, at the end of that book, uh, God actually doesn't answer the question directly. We don't walk away with a clear-cut, packaged answer on why there is suffering in the world, why evil things happen. Um, but we're reminded that God is just. He runs the world in a just fashion, but it's complex. And there are many factors that go into that. And we have too limited a perspective to make those kind of judgments that God makes. Um, but I think it's important, too, to point out that God actually honors Job's struggle and wrestling with that concept. Of him uh, pouring out his heart, pouring out his afflictions to God and questioning what's going on. Uh, so even though some of the things Job said were, were wrong and, and against God, God actually, at the end of the book, honors what Job says, says that Job had spoken rightly and uh, acknowledges the fact that he was struggling with something that's difficult to understand from his limited perspective. That's what I want to draw out of Job. Again, there's a lot more in there, but just the very simple idea of from our limited human perspective, we don't have enough information or enough knowledge about the world, like these vast judgments about what's going on, to call God into the docket and claim that he's being unjust or unloving by allowing things to happen. At times, also, along with what we pulled from Job, is uh, my corrective sense of suffering. So we see this in some of the Psalms, um, that our suffering is a way for God to guide his children, to guide his followers back to himself. It's a part of our discipleship, um, is being brought back to God and his ways through through suffering at times. Uh, there's a constructive aspect to suffering taught in Scripture and that the, the Spirit matures us, Spirit disciples us, it grows our faith, Spirit does, um, when he allows us to suffer, when he brings trials and temptations. And that's um, what we get from James. The trials and temptations of many kinds lead us uh, to stronger, deeper faith. And there's also uh, a cosmic sense. And I think this is the one that maybe I struggled with the most for a while. I can understand constructive, you know, sense of it. I can understand like a corrective sense of you get what you get when you act dumb. Um, and so those things make sense. But this cosmic sense uh, that we see from John chapter nine, uh, where Jesus asks about a man born blind. And they ask him, they ask Jesus, who was it that... Uh, sinned was it his sin or his parents' sin that caused this man to be born blind? And Jesus answered them in verse three: says it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. And it's this sense of brain or evil that I think you know I've probably struggled with the most to come to grips with, and I think it's probably what most people uh, struggle the most to come to grips with. Um, but ultimately, when we come to these questions, we come to these answers. We need to approach it, again, from a scriptural, biblical standpoint. And so we have to be um, studiers of the word. We have to know what 
God has revealed to us, and um, he hasn't given us just a, a overly clear, um, simple answers to the questions. It's a very complex, nuanced issue, and Scripture gives us um, a handful of ways that God uses suffering, uh, why he allows suffering, why he permits suffering, why he um, utilizes suffering for for our good and for our benefit. And so you're probably thinking, okay, well, as Christians, we answer this question um, from Scripture, from a biblical worldview, uh, but the person we're talking to most likely is going to reject it. They're not, they're not coming from a biblical worldview. They're not a Christian, most likely, and so they're, they're just going to reject what Scripture has to say about those things. Um, and, that's, and that's true. That's just a, a fact of the way this is probably going to go, is they're going to go, cool, that's what Scripture says. But that doesn't answer my question. That's not a satisfactory answer. Uh, that's where we have to, I think, be careful. We can't, yeah, just because they, they may not like the answer, they may not uh, agree with it or appreciate it, doesn't mean we should then switch tactics and try to go to some kind of general answer just to appease them. And we want to have good conversation. We want to have good dialogue. But uh, we can't ab abandon revelation just uh, out of modern sensibilities to try to appease these so we stand on scripture, we stand with what God's revealed, that's the basis for uh, how we answer and approach these questions, and I think the next section I want to talk about here for the next like right 10 minutes or so is when we're in these conversations, um, and they, they inevitably, the person we're talking to inevitably rejects the reasons that scripture gives, or they are not convinced, or they have additional questions like, um, okay, so those things happen, but that still makes God evil or that makes certain actions evil or suffering is immoral or unjust. Um, those kind of things are what you're going to hear. And I think it's where it could be helpful in that discussion um, to go on to what uh, a theologian by the name of Leroy Fourlines talks about in his book. He well, talks about in a book written um, by a student of his that collected a bunch of his writings, but it's called The Apologetics of Leroy Fourlines. It kind of outlines Leroy Fourlines' approach to those types of things, and it's uh, a testing of worldviews. So everybody has a worldview, basic set of beliefs, positions that they're utilizing to look at the world. And so um, as you answer these questions from a biblical, scriptural standpoint, you know, we want to get into asking the question, okay, can the, the worldview of the person that is rejecting Christianity because of suffering, um, because of evil, can their worldview even account for, or can it make sense of, evil in the first place? They really have a leg to stand on when they're bringing this criticism. And four Lines lays out four ways that we can um, start to test worldviews. And the first is, does it answer the inescapable questions of life, meaning questions of purpose, meaning? Um, the second way is their internal consistency. Meaning, is there a logical structure related to it? Um, do all the parts fit consistently together? Do the beliefs and presuppositions, do they work um, in cohesion? The third is their causal adequacy, meaning are the causes adequate to produce the effects attributed to them? And then the fourth one is, does it conform to that which is undeniably true? Or does it account for the things that we are undeniable about reality? And we're not going to talk about all four of those um, in this episode, but I think um, one thing that's important to remember also that Fourline writes about 
in his book here that I wanted to read because I think it's very important to set our mind frame. It goes right along with the idea of the answer these questions from scripture, the answer these questions from the biblical worldview. Um, he writes in the book, We do not stand outside the Christian worldview, prove the main points of the Christian worldview, then assemble the Christian worldview. The Christian worldview already exists, predates us. We do not stand outside the Christian worldview and examine it. There's no place to stand outside the Christian worldview. Whatever the true worldview is, we are part of it. We are deeply involved in it. We look at the worldview from within and apply the tests. The basics of the Christian worldview come to us as given ideas. They are given to us for our examination. We test these ideas for reasonableness and adequacy. What he's saying there um, is kind of what I've been talking about in this well, previous episode and this one. All of our beliefs are formed, should be formed based off of scripture. And that when we come to answer these questions, um, it's important that we utilize scripture and what God has revealed to us as we answer these questions. So again, we're not going to go over all four of them, but where I, one thing where I, I really think that, especially for the, if you remember the original question that was being asked that made me think about doing the episode on this was from a agnostic or atheistic perspective, um, asking about suffering and evil in the world. And I think in one area, um, look at that second uh, test that he has about internal crisis, is I don't think that from a godless atheistic worldview, um, that person has much room to complain about suffering or evil. If we are just evolved cosmic accidents in a blind, pitiless world that has no form or purpose or meaning behind it, um, what does suffering even really mean in that sense? Can they? Can that worldview even make the idea of suffering coherent and logical to even ask and question? Is it not just uh, matter bumping into matter at that point? Just um, atoms reacting and working the way that they chemically do. I don't think suffering even really makes sense from that worldview, and so it's difficult um, for that argument to even be formed, I think, especially uh, from an atheistic or agnostic viewpoint, because they have no foundation for saying something is absolutely wrong or objectively wrong. I think a great example of concept of they have no foundation actually played out in a recent debate that I listened to um, between a couple Christian pastors and a couple atheist or agnostic professors. I'm actually going to play about a eight or ten second clip uh, of a, it's a two hour and thirteen minute long debate, but this is just about a ten second clip I think that really highlights this idea that um, there is no actual absolute ultimate objective standard when you reject God and his revelation for morality um, to even complain about suffering. Pedophiles all the time. I have a least favorite pedophile. Are they wrong? He's very annoying. Yes, they're they're absolutely they're wrong. Absolutely wrong. Or said, but they are, they're technically intersubjectively wrong. So they're not absolutely wrong? Um, no, because it's you. all a conversation. So the debate's over, friends. They are intersubjectively wrong. So, so you admit, Mr. Anderson, that they are not absolutely wrong. The Green River Killer is not absolutely wrong. Ted Bundy is not absolutely wrong. Child rapists are not absolutely wrong. And you came to debate that your worldview provides a foundation for ethics? 
Yes, um, the humanist perspective does provide a foundation for ethics because, again, um, rape is wrong, murder according is to, wrong, according to the cultural conversation that we are all of which a part. So Thanks, that's a, just a short clip, but I think that just highlights uh, extremely well the issue with trying to build morality in a godless uh, system. Now, there's no ultimate foundation. There's no absolute authority. There's no absolute standard which to judge these moral truths by. And so you end up with these very odd um, mental gymnastics to try to hammer down a foundation to say something that we inherently know as human beings created in the image of God. We know these things like murder and rape are absolutely wrong. Uh, but when you deny your creator, when you deny scripture, when you deny what God has revealed to us, um, the way that we've been created, the value that we have as creations of God, when you deny those things, when you reject God, um, you end up doing these crazy mental gymnastics to try to hold together some kind of moral consistency. At least some people do. Some people completely just say morality is subjective and just give up on it. I can at least commend that person for trying to hold to some kind of moral standard, but uh, it, it becomes very clear that there is no way to do that when you reject the very foundation of uh, morality, the very foundation of reality. And so these, these kinds of questions, um, like I said, A, we want to answer from Scripture. We want to answer from what God has revealed to us. And then B, we want to ask questions um, of them as well. As we kind of explain our worldview, explain the Christian perspective on these things, how suffering fits into God's plan and purpose in the way that he's revealed to us. I also want to know what their foundation is for these things, because if they, they have no foundation, they have no place to even ask about suffering, to question suffering, um, it becomes very clear real quickly which worldview can consistently account for suffering, which worldview can make sense of it, and in which worldview um, evil is even a, a term that can be thrown around with some kind of meaning. And we have these conversations um, out of love or out of uh, respect for the other person. We don't want to just um, answer their question and then leave them at that. You know, there's always a, a desire to see them come to the truth and knowledge of the gospel, to, to, to be disciples of Christ, to worship Jesus. And so that's ultimately our goal um, when we engage in these types of conversations or discussions or questions. Um, you know, we're looking to provide answers, uh, but ultimately we want to lead people back to Christ. And so we don't just want to, um, you know, refute a position or disagree with a position and then leave it at that uh, and claim some kind of high ground. We want to explain the Christian worldview well um, and lead that into the gospel, especially in questions of suffering. When people are asking those kinds of things and the, the difficulties of suffering. Um, you know, we can talk about the hope that we have in Christ, we have in Jesus, how his blood covers a multitude of sins and how that is um, where salvation ultimately comes from. And that the the best good and most beautiful thing in the world is that Christ came to earth, uh, put on flesh, lived the life that we couldn't live, died in our place, and then was resurrected three days later um, to new life. And that he offers that to us. We can be adopted as sons and daughters of the king. And so that is ultimately where our goal wants to end up with these discussions. It's not going to happen immediately. It's not going to happen every time, you know, first time. But that's ultimately our goal is to um, lovingly answer these questions, uh, answer them with scripture, 
point out the inconsistency of the other person's you know belief system and the, uh, the foundation they're not standing on, things they've given up. But ultimately, you know, the gospel is the, the most important thing that we can end with. Hopefully, this two-part episode has been encouraging to you and been uh, uh, kind of maybe a primer on some of these things and uh, piques your interest to go and search out them, uh, do some research and search for these kind of things more. Uh, I highly recommend the book, The Apologetics of Leroy Fourlines by Matthew Penton. And uh, that debate, if you're interested, uh, you can find it on YouTube under Apologia Studios page, but it's called Atheist versus Christian, Do Ethics and on God. So that'd be two things I'd say check out. The debate's free. Obviously, it's on YouTube, so you can jump on there and watch it. There's some other good stuff they put out, too. It just kind of starts to highlight some of these things and presents a biblical worldview and challenges um, other worldviews on the basis of Scripture. So hopefully this has uh, been encouraging to you and hopefully piqued your interest just as kind of barely brushing the surface on these kind of things. I appreciate you guys checking it out. And remember, as you go out to the world, that we're to share the gospel and want to lead people to follow the King. We want to lead people to follow Jesus. So if you're checking it out, and I hope you guys have a blessed day. 